Welcome, dear listener, to Astonishing Tales of the Highly Improbable. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen, and this is the New Albion Orchestra. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Welcome to another glorious episode of the new Albion Radio Hour. Why, yes, yes, you are correct. I am in a delightful mood, just delightful. Because I'm going to finally get out of this feces stain of a city. No, not just a city, this entire cursed narrative. This backwater mucus dump, this wretched vomit bucket masquerading as a functioning reality. My plan to leave it officially is underway, and soon I will be out of here. Maybe I'll even be able to track down my boyfriend. My old boyfriend. My boyfriend. I would never be disloyal to him or turn my back on him no matter how many years pass. Well, sleeping with other people is hardly being disloyal. We're not June and Ward Cleaver. Don't worry about it. Different narrative. And we live very, very long lives. For heaven's sake, you have to mix it up a bit. Sex is a tawdry thing. Loyalty is much deeper and greater, and most peons have the emotional range of a toddler and cannot fathom... Oh, no, no, no. No, and this pathetic excuse for a body, this insulting Pinocchio suit, if Geppetto was a half-brain mutation of a dying sow, I cannot have any happy joy time in this horrid body, but trust me, my boyfriend has by now shagged a mile-long laundry list of the psychologically stunted and grotesque. I truly believe the words, no, not today, have never passed his lips, but no matter. I do not care about such idiocies. I just want him. Why, yes, I did leave. Took a trip up to the surface. I visited a lovely young woman named Cora who sells cigarettes at the Rumba Club. She introduced me to another woman, older, who she has the pathetic googly eyes for, named Jacqueline, who is a walking cloud of grump, if you ask me. Good lord, that woman could use a happy pill, and this is coming from me. Anyway, we set up a plan, a little exchange of favors, but all that matters is that Jacqueline the Crankazoid will send someone to find a certain, rather obscure monastery that's hidden somewhere in the mountains west of here. I know this monastery. I've worked with them. They can arrange to help me. They may even have someone there who is flowered, who can help me, who can get me off this flatulence-made carnate excuse for a world. Joy! 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 All they have to do is not screw it up, and I... I'm out of here. (laughs) I brought you a treat. Some, uh, is this food for you? Really? Fascinating. No, there's no meat. Nothing dead. Just a pile of junk. Yes, I put it there in the corner. I have no idea how you consume it, but to each his own. Oh, right. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Karen's Baby Store. Babies are a perfect example of how size does not matter when it comes to the ability to annoy the living fecal matter out of you and cause a never-ending headache that apparently will only end 18 years later, assuming you're lucky and can get the ungrateful little bastards out of your house. But for the supplies you're going to need to get through handling the little hell creatures right now, go to Karen's Baby Store. I swear I write the best copy in New Albion. Anyway, enough from me, your friendly neighborhood thought. Oh, don't know that one. Yes, I am. What one could be called a little thought. Granted, it shouldn't be little. I was actually a bit taller. I was a tall thought. But tall or short, I am a thought nonetheless. So, join us. For a particularly good episode today, unlike the usual dreck we force you to sit through... Soon I won't even need you to listen to the show anymore. It was just in case I needed the collective psychic repository to use for a bit of reality bending. I can't do what I once could, but I certainly know some tricks. Anyway, listen while you can, because soon I shall be out of here. Yeet! Jill grew up in the traveling renaissance fair, populated by the odd, the insane, and ones never fated to fit in with society at large. In other words, indistinguishable from any other renaissance fair, except this one had actually been founded by the escaped inmates from an old lunatic asylum. Her best friend growing up was a ghost boy named Jan. Jan was trapped on the material plane, doomed to be a ghostly child forever. At some point during her childhood, Jill resolved to make her life goal the mission of granting Jan the death that would finally bring him peace. At the fair was a terror reader named Madame Chaperlaine. She was highly respected, and while not above milking rubes out of their hard-earned cash, was accepted as possessing legitimate talent in her art. Little Jill had many talks with Madame Chaperlaine over her childhood, as the aging woman had taken a warm liking to the girl. But it wasn't until Jill was eleven when she and the woman began discussing options seriously. Madame Chaperolaine knew of Jill's resolve to help the ghost boy, and after years of talking with the girl, did not doubt her resolve. So she brought up to Jill the suggestion of witchcraft. She explained to Jill that she would soon be experiencing a bloody initiation of womanhood and with it the blooming of potentially great power. She explained that adolescence was a time when enormous amounts of chaotic psychic energy was created. Almost every poltergeist, after all, is called by the psychic residue of a troubled teenager, with females outnumbering males in the creation of such energies. It was a perfect time to learn the craft, and if she kept at it steadily, in a decade or so, she could in fact be perfectly capable of pulling off the type of spells that could help her friend. Madame Chaperolaine warned Jill, though, the type of magic she'd need to send a ghost so firmly locked to this coil by such alien magic was substantial. It would take great patience to work up to and many steps to master to get even close. Moreover, Madame Chaperolaine couldn't help her to the degree Jill needed. 
The madam was an armchair witch. She knew a few handy spells for this and that, and could commune with a few of her others in parallel threads. But Jill needed a powerful teacher, and lacking that, at least a serious-level grimoire. Jill excitedly asked if she could get an actual Book of Shadows, and Madame Chaperolaine laughed and said no, she didn't need a pamphlet of magic mother goose spells for hippie children who liked to play naked in the woods. She meant a serious grimoire for serious witches. Madame Chaperolaine gave Jill a few spells and concepts to start exploring and told her to be patient. She would get on it. A year and a half later, when the fair was stationed near a large, deep forest to the southwest, a short, pudgy, older woman who looked like she might be found at a help-wanted desk just a few years before retirement strolled into the fair and into the madam's tent. Soon after, Jill heard a voice calling to her to come to the tent, although she couldn't see who was speaking. So Jill came. Is this her? she asked Madame Chaperolaine. The madam nodded. The woman gave Jill a kindly smile. Come here, dear. Let's get a closer look at you. Jill went to the woman, who gently looked her over, sometimes staring deeply at odd places on Jill, like the very top of her head and some spot right above her tummy. She inspected Jill's palms very closely and pulled on invisible threads from her forehead and seemed to watch where they went as she pulled them out. Oh, child, you are wonderful. Such potential, such interesting futures. Marvelous, just marvelous. Oh, dear, I'd be delighted to help and instruct you. She spent the next three days with Jill at the fair. She spoke of many, many things, most of which you are not privy to. She also gave Jill a large leather-bound book. As she gave it, she added, And don't listen to Chaperlaine. Never underestimate the awesomeness of playing naked in the woods. Over the next few years, Jill studied not only this book, but a heap of other material that odd people would randomly drop off at Madame Chaperolaine's tent in various locations. Once a year, the pudgy woman would visit, and for days she and Jill would disappear into the woods. On the last time Jill ever saw the woman, who she had grown to love deeply and whose name she swore to never repeat, the woman brought a tattoo artist. He drew upon her a very strange symbol. She and the woman had never discussed this. Just a precaution, dear, in case you ever meet the fat woman. No, not me, the other one. There's two important fat women in your life. I'm the first, the good one, the one at the beginning. This is for the one at the end. If you ever find yourself at the bottom of a reality well, don't worry about understanding now. Just listen, this is important. The bottom of a reality well. But never, never use this until the other fat woman appears. Otherwise, it will be wasted and won't be there when you need it. I believe they're wrong. It's not Isabella. She pays for her sins. It's you, and you may need this. Maybe. Maybe not. It's... Oh, dear, I do so wish you well. I wish I could go with you on your adventures. How grand they shall be. How grand indeed. Jill and the woman hugged and cried and declared their love for each other and finally parted. Jill would never see her again. She was 18. 
Jill's adolescence at the fair could be marked by her phases. Her emo phase wasn't enjoyed by the others nearly as much as her goth phase, which the other Ren fairs adored putting together outfits for. The man who played the Dark Knight for a few of the stories, including the live chess match, was even inspired by Jill, and together they built a whole new wardrobe for him. Her Eastern mysticism phase raised a few eyebrows. Her hippie phase everybody found fun. Her geisha phase lasted a day before someone gently pulled her aside, and the next day it had disappeared and was never spoken of again. Her furry phase went on and off, as did her Amazonian warrior phase. Over her teenage years, she had three boyfriends and four girlfriends. Despite this, she did not lose her virginity until she was 17, both because she was not fully comfortable until then, and because it coincided with a really interesting ritual she was enormously excited about trying out. All of this is incidental, however. Jan, forever trapped as a child, remained her best friend throughout. And every step of magic she learned was building up to the day she would dare to open a portal to a whispered place they said the dead belonged, the almost mythical land of Empyrean. Accessing Empyrean was highly frowned upon. Most texts refused to discuss it. Some that did would refer to it as Elysium, but still would not instruct how to do it other than to say don't. But the grimoire Jill had been given was the one, the only text that actually spelled it out. The spell took 12 moon cycles to cast and would last only a few minutes. Jill spent a year casting the spell, and finally the big night came. She and Jan performed the final part in a clearing in the forest using a stump as an altar. As she shouted out the final incantation and threw the final tincture into the bowl, a great mist formed which enveloped them. A large glowing hole appeared, and they stepped through into a beautiful world with trees and foliage and dirt roads and lots of people hard at work building absolutely beautiful buildings that looked like something out of a fairy tale. A beautiful woman watched them come through. She ran up to them, delighted. A newcomer! Yay, how wonderful! Welcome! Welcome! Did you get our missive? Have you come to help us build paradise? The paradise at the crossroads! Oh, you're gonna love it here! We have transhumans from all over the metaverse. They've all come, answered the call, to build a wonderful world of eternal life. A forever world. A fairy tale land. My, you are young. It's rare anyone flowers so young. Oh, my dear, you must have had a terrible childhood. I'm so sorry. I'm Sarad one. Let me introduce you to Doug. Baron Samedi, Ethel, please, or just the Baron. Unless you prefer I keep calling you my friend the Baron, the beautiful woman quickly corrected herself. Um, said Jill, I, I think there might be some kind of mistake. No mistake, dear. You did it. You made it. Just in time to help us build the crossroads. Paradise to transhumans everywhere. We've kept all the gates open, but one day soon we will shut them for our own protection. Otherwise, time will age us all. But look, you must see what we've built so far. Um, said Jill, is this Empyrean? Saradwin stopped. She looked at Jill closely for a minute. Uh, 
I'm not sure. Or Elysium, Jill added. I know some people call it Elysium. See, we're looking for Elysium. My, my friend here, Jan, he's a ghost, and he's only six, but he's also kind of really old. I'm not sure how old, maybe 100, probably 200. I don't actually know. He doesn't speak really, but he can like kind of, well, um, he like puts these images in your head. That's how he talks. So, you know, he's not so good with numbers, but I'm trying to get him to Empyrean or Elysium, whichever you want to call it, and I cast a spell, and it's supposed to be here, but I'm listening to you, and now I'm, I'm kind of not so sure. Saradwin gaped at her. Jill shuffled nervously. Finally, Saradwin found her voice. I, I'm, you're trying to get to Elysium? Yes, can we get there from here? Maybe if you just point us the right way, my friend here really needs to die. He's been waiting a long time. Well, not not die because he's dead, but like go to where the dead people go. Saradwin shook her head. No, 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 no. Oh my God, I'm 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 so sorry. No, this isn't this isn't Elysium. Did you say you got here through a spell? Is that even possible? She turned to the Baron. Can someone do that once we close the gates? The Baron shook his head slowly. I don't think so. Not corporally. Maybe astrally. In theory, I don't... No one's ever done this kind of thing before. It's all theoretical. I mean, nothing material could possibly get in. If, if time can't seep in, neither could a material body. We never talked about witchcraft. We have extra seals we could use to make the gates really unopenable. I mean, if we wanted to go that far... Saradwin turned back to Jill. Living forever is harder than you think. So you're not a trans? I mean, the other trans. Transhuman. We should come up with a new word. Uh, narrative jumping? Does this mean anything to you? You're just a witch. You're young. I mean, I don't know how you jumped here, but that's got to be a hell of a spell. I'm sorry. I, I don't know much about witchcraft, but... This is definitely not Elysium. I mean, we're connected, sort of attached to an outer wall, but there's no way in. And you're going to want to be very careful about accessing Elysium. I hear really bad things. Jill was crestfallen. Fuck! She finally said. She looked down next to her, as if listening to an invisible companion, which Saradwin assumed was the ghost boy, although only Jill could see him. Oh, shit, yeah, okay. We better go before the portal closes. Sorry to bother you. Good luck with your place. It looks really nice. Maybe I'll see you again one day. And with that, she popped through the hole from which she had come. It turned out she had gotten a minor herb wrong, misidentified it. She was angry, then depressed, then started the spell all over again, and another year passed. A year later, she finished casting the spell again. Once again, a large glowing hole appeared, and once again, she and Jan crossed through. This time, they were floating about what seemed like a beautiful outer space with a wash of hypnotic color slowly swirling about them in the vast distance. Jill received an image in her head. Really? You think this is it? Yes! We did it! We are badasses! Where do you want to go? What do you do? It's really pretty. I wonder if... She stopped. 
In the far-off distance, three enormous, grotesque shapes, like something out of a psychotic horror story, were rushing towards her. She turned back towards the hole, but it had suddenly sealed shut. Jan was pulled by an invisible force towards one of the approaching creatures. Jill panicked. She started quaking with fear. She remembered her training. Her mentor had taught her a quick escape spell that could be pulled out in emergencies. Whether it would work here, Jill didn't know, and her fear made it hard to concentrate, but she did the best she could. She received a flash from Jan. Wait, what? You're... I don't understand. Are you trying to say reincarnation? Jan disappeared, just popping out of existence. The creatures were rushing towards her, and they were not giving off friendly vibes. She felt death bearing down upon her. She cast the spell and teleported just as one of the giant monstrous horrors reached her. The good news is that the place she went had no immediate monsters. The bad news is that it so defied any laws of order, physics, color, sight, it was a place never meant to be perceived with human senses. She screamed, and as her poor young mind cracked and fell apart, she shut her eyes, curled into a fetal ball, and whimpered. So there you go. Blah, blah, blah. Song by some scum of a musician. Here you go, dear sweet vermin. Well, a Scotsman clad in kilt left a bar one evening fair. And one could tell from how he walked that he drunk more than his share. He fumbled around until he could no longer keep his feet. Then he stumbled off into the grass to sleep beside the street. Ring ding diddle little idio, ring da diddle io. Oh, stumbled off into the grass to sleep beside the street. About this time, two young and lovely maids just happened by, and one said to the other with a twinkle in her eye, See on sleeping Scotsmen so strong and handsome built, I wonder if it's true what they don't wear beneath their kilt. Ring ding diddle lady oh, ring da diddle io. Oh, I wonder if it's true what they don't wear beneath their kilt. They crept upon that sleeping Scotsman, quiet as can be. They lift his kilt about an inch above so they could see. And there, behold, for all to view beneath his Scottish skirt was nothing more than God had graced him with upon his birth. Ring ding diddle laddie o, ring da diddle i o. Oh, was nothing more than God had graced him with upon his birth. They marveled for a moment, then one said, We must be gone. Let's leave a present for our friend before we move along. And so they left a blue silk ribbon tied into a bow. Around the bonny star the Scots kilted lift and show. Ring ding diddle laddie o, ring da diddle io, oh, around the bonny star the Scots kilted lift and show. About this time the Scot awoke to answer nature's call. 
lifts his kilt behind a bush and gawks at what he saw. And in a startled voice he says to what's before his eyes, Oh, lad, I don't know where you been, but I see you won first prize. Ding, ding, riddle, little laddie, oh, ring, daddy, I-o. Oh, lad, I don't know where you been, but I see you won first prize.